Amen. Hey, open up your Bibles to Judges 11. And as you get to Judges 11, I'm going to read to you out of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. Paul wrote it, I believe. The author's unknown. It's debated and speculated. It could have been Apollos. could have been Paul. Some say it was Barnabas. I think it was Paul. And yet whoever wrote it was impacted by the men and women of the Old Testament. And Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith where dozens and dozens of men and women are highlighted. Looking back saying, remember that guy? Remember that gal? Listen to these verses that we pull out of the book of Judges. It says, and what more shall I say? Verse 32, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. We know his story. And Barak, him and Deborah. And Samson, we haven't studied him yet. And Jephthah. Everyone say Jephthah. Jephthah. And Jephthah. Right after Jephthah, it says also if David and Samuel the prophets. Man, this guy's just throwing out heroes from the past. And you know whose name makes the roster? Jephthah. Jephthah. He's the eighth judge of Israel during this time. The eighth judge that we're going to study. You guys remember in the book of Judges. God raises up men and a couple of women to help out in the leadership of the children of Israel over a 400-year period after the deliverance from Egypt into the promised land, 400 years of judges, and then into the time of the kings where they would be led in that manner. And in the time of the judges, they kept getting in trouble. And it wasn't that they got judges like Judge Wapner and Judge Judy, nothing like that at all. The judges were actually warriors, leaders that God would raise up to deliver them from bad guys that they usually got in trouble with doing dumb stuff. Because the children of Israel, just like you and me, we know what we're supposed to do, but we don't always do it. And we find ourselves then getting entangled in the things of this world. So God raised up judges. Othniel was the first one. Othniel, Caleb's son-in-law. Shamgar came along. Ehud, Deborah, and Barak. Gideon, we studied his story. Last week, we were introduced to Tola, the son of Dodo, the son of Pua. You know, that guy, Tola. What did he even do in his life? Two verses, we have no idea. Then there was Jair, those two judges. And we saw in 45 years of leadership combined, we do know that they had peace and prosperity. woo But they didn't have any development and discipleship for the children of Israel. For in verse 8 of the last chapter, it says, as soon as they died, the children of Israel went hog wild again. They didn't know what to do. They lost their bearing, which doesn't take long as a nation to be founded right. And then after a few bad leaders come into play and then leave, essentially you get kind of off your foundation and off course. We're experiencing that right now in the United States of America. We're kind of off course. We're off our foundation. We're not where we were founded for sure. Why is that? Well, it's because of the discipleship and the disciplines that are lacking And it's easy to point the finger at other people and point out what they're doing. But hopefully today, you and I all lean in and say, where's my discipleship and where's my discipline? I can't worry about that person or those people. I got to worry about myself. And if all of us just worry about ourselves, we're going to be better discipled and better disciplined, walking in the graces and the purposes of God. And so God raises up a new judge, Jephthah. His story's crazy. 40 verses. We're going to try and get through all of them, so you guys got to listen fast. We've been here before. We know how this goes. It's going to be a two-parter. I can already tell. But two things are in play right off the bat. So join, jump in and join me in verse 17. No, let's go verse 16 of the previous chapter, chapter 10. It says, so they put away the foreign gods from among them, and they served the Lord. 
and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. And the people of Ammon, bad guys, they gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled together and they encamped in Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Oh man, who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Stop right there, eyes up here. These are the verses we did not cover last week. We ended here. Where the children of Israel now find themselves after Jair and after Tola, after these guys doing things they shouldn't do, and now they're reaping consequences they didn't know what to do with. And so the Bible says that they cry out to the Lord. Listen, they put away their foreign gods. They began to repent. They began to confess, and they destroyed the things that were taking them down. They got rid of the things of the flesh. This is a good move for all believers here today. What is it that's holding you back, taking you down, messing you up? Don't give it any more time. Do whatever you got to do. Delete it, flush it, break it off, move out, separate yourself from those things because it's only a matter of time till those things take you down once again. This is what we're learning here. And so once they did that and got serious, I love it, it's highlighted in my Bible. It says that the Lord's soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. He's not so much mad at them, he's mad about them. You know that about the Lord? He loves you. And when you get caught up in your stuff and you feel the, the weight of his judgment, the weight of his discipline on you, it's because he loves you. He wants the best for you. He wants the best from you. Once you realize this as a Christian, as a believer, you're not gonna resist the searchlight of the Holy Spirit. You're not gonna resist the power of God's word or the confrontation of a brother or a sister. You're gonna say, yeah, dude, just be gentle with me. Just be, and the Lord was brokenhearted for them. We're seeing here though, two things in play. Number one, the mercy of God flowing toward them. Someone say amen. amen. We read that this morning in Psalm 118. The mercies of the Lord endure forever. And the mercies of the Lord. Know this to be true. The mercies of the Lord endure forever for you and for me. For anybody who's watching online or rebellious in heart or in nature, call upon the Lord. His son was sent not to, verse 17 of John 3, condemn the world, but that through him we might be saved. And you who are moms and dads and coaches and bosses, let's be ministers of mercy. Let's extend mercy to others. Mercy and grace, mercy and grace. is the grace that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Titus tells us in chapter two, verse 11, when you receive God's mercy, it jumpstarts you, gets you fired up to DTNRT, to do the next right thing. God's mercy will never fail you. God's mercy will never not be extended to you. Let's both receive it today and extend it to others. That was Jesus's prayer. Forgive us of our debts, even as we forgive those who are in debt to us. Lord, mercy, mercy, mercy. Don't you love mercy for yourself? Don't you love mercy for yourself? And like a little bit of mercy for others. <laughs> Isn't that the way we are sometimes? Lord, don't, don't forbid your mercy to me. All these other knuckleheads, do whatever you want. You know, Pull them accountable, you know? And like, Lord, I just need mercy. Oh my goodness. Hey, two things are in play here in these verses of chapter 10 the mercy of God, but also the consequences of our bad decisions. It's the sowing and reaping principle. We now see, if you didn't get it all, extract it for you, the children of Israel are surrounded by the Ammonites and they start to freak out and they start to pray, who will be our leader? And they look around, guess what they find? No leaders. They don't know what to do, why? Because Jair and Tola didn't disciple and discipline anybody. They just had peace and prosperity and they weren't pushing somebody to the front of the pack to lead well. I believe this is the consequences of rebellion and selfishness and sinfulness and, and all the things, the softness, 
There's no leader. We're going to see God raise one up because that's what God does. There's always a leader amongst us. And here's the principles we're going to extract. You don't know who the next leader is going to be. You don't know if it's going to be you or the person sitting next to you. We have our little grid of expectations and qualifications. Well, did you go to school? Did you go to seminary? Did you go? All these things, you know, and God looks at people who have a loyal heart towards him. And God actually likes to call the people who are most unassuming. He does that on purpose. He calls the little things, the weak things, the base things, the small things on purpose. So that way when the glory is got, it's not taken, but it's given to him. God's going to raise somebody up. But I, I need you guys to see these two things are in play. Please, please, please pay attention. God's mercy, but also the bummer of the decisions that they've made. This happens in my life all the time. A bummer from the decisions that I've made. Oh, no, I did this and I should have done that. And, oh, I'm all messed up again. It's true. And the Lord says, what are you going to do? I'm going to call upon the mercies of the Lord. Lord, would you help me? And his heart will break towards you just like it breaks towards them. Guys, let's study the story of Jephthah now. We only have 22 minutes left. I'm just going to keep the countdown going. We'll see if we can do it. We're going to extract some heavy-duty principles, though. It says in verse 1 of chapter 11, Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, he was a mighty man of valor. We've seen that word before. Man, he's the guy for the job. But, does your Bible say but? My Bible says but. All these buts in the Bible. But, he was the son of a harlot. Some of your Bibles say prostitute. Some of your Bibles say even more nefarious things. Some of your Bibles say strange woman. He, he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begot Jephthah. His dad knew a shady lady, and a dude came out named Jephthah. I want you to see a little more context before we start to get some principles. Look at verse 2. Gilead's wife, his real wife, she bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman, the son of a harlot. Man, it's bad days, bad news for Jephthah. Verse three, then Jephthah fled from his brothers and he dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together and Jephthah with Jephthah and he went out raiding with them. Jephthah now becomes a bad boy. He gets sent out from his house and he goes to Tob. Tob notoriously was a bad city, all kinds of crime and strip clubs and bars and stuff. It's just like Yahats, man. It's just out of control. Just <laughs> off the deep. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I can't pick on Toledo and Otis all the time. I got to, you know, Yahats. And it was a bad, it was a coastal town, man. And he goes, it's true though, he went to Tob and Tob was a bad place and he found some marauders. Some of your Bibles say some adventurers. These were guys, vain, they had no purpose in their life and all of a sudden Jephthah's there, he's an outskirted one, they've pushed him out and yet he attracts himself some other guys that have no direction in their life also. You Bible students, this might remind you of a king by the name of David. Remember David? He was on the run as well and the Bible says that he hid out in the cave and other men who were in debt discontent and destitute found him and they surrounded themselves they had nowhere to go and David was a good leader and so he led them and they became David's mighty men well so too Jephthah is on the run nowhere to go he's in Tob with a bunch of gangsters doing gangster stuff sleeve tattoos riding Harley donkeys around man just doing all kinds of silly stuff that's what's happening here now just a few principles in verse one it says that he's a mighty man of valor isn't that rad we know he's called. He makes the hall of faith. Paul knew his story. When the Jews would get around 3,000 years later and talk about the men and women of old, Jephthah's name, his story would come up. Just want you to know, it was a highlighted story. There's other men and women, you're like, what's that story? That's kind of weird. We don't talk about that at the dinner table. Jephthah's name was a dinner table conversation. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. 
let me say a couple things. If you think your life's going to be easy or going to be great, or let me say it differently. If you think your life's going to be great, like a mighty woman or a mighty man of valor, yeah, let's do this. Don't also, therefore, then expect it to be easy. You would almost expect it to be easy, wouldn't you? God calls men and women. He gifts them. He anoints them. They're mighty men and mighty women of valor. You're like, yeah, let's go. Next thing you know, you know, Moses and Joseph and Paul. None of them had easy lives. Let me say this to the ones who are called to greatness, okay? The ones who are called to lead leaders. There's, there's, there's a handful of you here, maybe dozens. If your life has not been easy thus far, it's not a mistake. You might say, well, dude, I thought I was going to do something. I thought I was going to look at Peter's life. Look at the apostles' lives. Look at the men and women that God's called mightily. And my pastor taught me a saying, if God's going to use you greatly, oftentimes he has to hurt you deeply. That sounds sadistic. That sounds offensive. And yet God says, I know what I'm doing. And I have put greatness in your heart. Just like Jephthah. And he's born of a harlot. In that day, in any day, in our day, if you were born in such a nefarious situation, it would be a byword, it would be unfortunate. Everyone would know who your mom was. Your mom's a shady lady. You didn't grow up on the right side of town. Things were not given to you on a silver spoon. And that's many people's story. People very closely connected to me have that story. And sometimes on the outside looking in, we can judge others with that story. Don't raise your hands, but have you ever done that before? Looked at somebody and said, well, not them. They're all messed up. Just like Jephthah's brothers pushed him out and said, no, you, you can't be part of the team. No inheritance for you. And yet we're going to see God's going to raise up this Jephthah as the judge of Israel. So many principles in here. And I would also just kind of, as I'm extracting these organically, and if you're a note taker, just write down whatever the Holy Spirit says to you. Notice that this wasn't even Jephthah's fault. This is his dad's fault and this lady's fault. Or we don't even know that they, their choices. And yet it was put down upon the children. And oftentimes this is the case. Kids inherit the sins of their, their parents in this way. And sometimes, sometimes the consequences of mom and dad go down to the next generation. This is a warning to moms and dads. Don't hand down so many bags to your kids to unpack and to deal with. It will be transferred. Don't do, do, do the best you can. Parents should set their kids up for success. Your prayer should be for your little guys and gals that they exceed and excel you in all things, body, mind, and spirit. That you give them a firm foundation. And maybe you weren't set up for success. Maybe you were dropped on your head too. Anybody been dropped on their head when they were a kid? You didn't get, you didn't come out right. You got, you know, all these things happened to you. I'm able to look at my past. I'm 45 years old and I can kind of glean all the things that kind of were unfortunate in my life and maybe done to me. And I learn from those. And do my best to course correct in my own life. God's grace and mercy flows towards us. If you have not done perfectly as a mom or dad, ask God's grace and mercy to be extended to your kids as it will be to Jephthah. But also there's just so many lessons to be learned here. One of the other lessons I already mentioned is you just never know who God's gonna raise up next. So don't judge others. Instead, the Bible has told us, don't recognize people according to the flesh, but only their spirits. It's easy to kind of judge the outside. Don't we do that? Who they are, where they're from, what they have. We just kind of surmise and summarize. God says, don't, 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 don't do that. You have no idea what you're talking about. Instead, esteem others is better than yourself. Do that. That's such a good place to be. Just every single person. Because you are, you know, every single person in this room is better than you at something. At something. They have a, a skill set, a gift, something. How you do, I, I can't do that. That's incredible. And so you can. Sometimes our prize, well, I'm not going to esteem others better than myself. Do it. It's a safe place to be. And I already mentioned this as well. If your starting point in life isn't that glorious, don't give up because it's not as important as where you start as it is important where you end. That's great news. 
Do you know anybody in your life right now? Maybe it's the person you look at in the mirror that hasn't had everything handed to them on a silver palette. It's been, it's been tough for you. Okay, cool. That's an opportunity to do the next right thing. Additionally, when Jephthah, and the Bible tells us, look at verse four and five, let's check this out. It came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was that when the people of Ammon, bad guys, made war against Israel, good guys, that the elders of Gilead, they sent to Jephthah and they went to him from the land of Tob. Stop right there, eyes up here. After an amount of time, I was doing some reading this morning and I was reading earlier in chapter 10, you've got Tua, or what's his name, Tola in Jair, 45 years. Then you've got 18 years of what the Bible calls rebellion. And in that 18 years, it says Ammon, the bad guys. They fortified themselves against the children of Israel. And now we find Jephthah, this other hidden secret story within that 18 year period. And Jephthah's been outcast and the children of Israel are going crazy in their sinful ways. And listen, the whole time Jephthah's doing his own thing, they're living in Yahats, you know, doing his thing in Tob with his gangsters, his midnight marauders, his bad guys. The whole time God's actually preparing him for what's next. Now, I say bad guys and because that's what the Bible says, but it doesn't actually say that they were doing bad things. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they were bad guys that came to Jephthah, and the Bible specifically started saying he's a mighty man of valor. And maybe it was like a reform school for them. Maybe it was like that classic movie, Young Guns. Remember Young Guns, when that guy would take all the young guns with him and kind of bring them, reform them, Billy the Kid and his band and all those guys, and they became herdsmen. Remember that great movie? Anyways, moving on. Maybe that's what was happening. Here's the principle, though. Whatever you're going through, whatever you've been through, what if you chose to look at it as preparation for what God wants to use you for next? That's so fun. When we go through things that are hard, mistakes done by us or to us, oh, it's tough. We get stuck in the mud. Can't believe my brothers don't honor me and respect me. Can't believe I've been pushed out of the family inheritance. Can't believe I have to live in Yahas. Can't believe this is going on. And the Lord says, you think I'm done? Because if you got a pulse, you gotta, you're not done. Look at life differently. Everything you've been through, every failure, every opportunity, every mistake, every pain, what if it was God preparing you for 2024, for the next year? What if he wants you to step out on the water and do something? They went out and sought Jephthah after 18 years of rebellion, and he's over here leading this band of marauders. He's notorious. He's infamous. He's a warrior. And all of a sudden, Jephthah, we need your help. What'd you say? We need your help. Say it again. We need your help. Come again. And now we're going to see. Because Jephthah's kind of bummed out because they were so mean to him. Let's see how he processes this. I actually like Jephthah a lot. Verse 6. They said to Jephthah, hey, come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon, the bad guys. And so Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, uh, did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you now come to me now when you're in distress? Ha! And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Hey, that's why we've turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and behead our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Verse 9, So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home, I like how he called it home. It was always his home. He was a hurt guy. But he's on the verge of forgiving He's on the verge of healing. And by the way, can I just say this to Jephthah? They asked him to participate now, and he was very clear in his offenses and why this wouldn't work. Don't you guys remember when you hated me? Now you need me? What, what goes, what's going on here? 
And let me just say this. There is something very valuable about direct communication. Man, I have failed in this so many times in my leadership. I'm just going to sideways react and sideways uh, communicate and direct. Hey, when you said that, I heard this. Is that what you meant? That, that's so helpful. And Jephthah says, oh, let's talk about that. Let's get to the heart of the issue. You guys dropped me on my head. Now what do you need? And they're telling him, look, man, I don't know if they apologize, but they said, we really need you now. Reminds me of Joseph, who also was dropped on his head by his brothers. And then he got a job at Potiphar's house and then got dropped on his head by Potiphar's wife, you know, and then he got imprisoned and then he got dropped on his head by his prison buddies. And, and then he was in Pharaoh's court and he worked there for 13 years or so thereabouts before he, and, they, and God said, hey, I was doing all that to prepare you, Joseph. And now Jephthah here is being prepared for what God's gonna do next in his life. And Jephthah says this, he says in verse nine, so Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? I don't know the tone here. I think he's saying, you really want me to go fight for you guys and deliver you? Because I'm a bad guy from Tob. I'm a Yahat's warrior. You guys are looking for me now. If I deliver you, will you guys really put me in charge? He's kind of like, are you serious? Listen to their answer. Then Jephthah, or verse 10, and the elders of Gilead said, the Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. Wow, what a day for Jephthah. And then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Stop right there, Isaac. I don't know how you view Jephthah at this point, but I hope it's on a pedestal. I hope it's a judge of Israel who's not had an easy life. It's been difficult for him. He's not been perfect, but you know what he's gonna do now? He's gonna approach the bad guys, the people of Ammon, listen, with diplomacy, which personally I respect a diplomatic leader. And he's going to go to them and appeal to them. They're trying to fight him. It's not going to work. And while I respect diplomacy and politics in this way with enemy territory, the children of Israel, who is Jephthah, every time and any time and all the time, they have a, a diplomatic approach to the Palestinians or to the Hamas or to Hezbollah or to the Syrians or to the Lebanese government or to the Egyptians or the Jordanians or any, every time they decide to give back the Gaza Strip, every time they've done this over the years, every single time, it has come back to burn them every single time. And it's no different three, 4,000 years ago as it is today. I'm not gonna make any more statements on politics other than that. Let's read the story. Let me say this though. Man, what happened to the time today, guys? <laughs> okay. Here's the deal. Jephthah now has the microphone. <clears throat> and he goes to the Ammonites who want to fight him. And he's now going to go from verse 12 all the way to verse 28. Listen, he's going to recount and recall the history of the children of Israel and why the Ammonites have no right to fight them. Because the land that they're in was given to them by God. It was won by them in battle. And it was ignored by the Ammonites for many, many years. Those are his three points of contention and interest. They had no reason to be in this, in this land. For 300 years, it was idle and dormant. Let me just say this before I read a whole bunch without commentary. I'm just going to read it all. Jephthah was a man of God's words. He knew God's word. He wasn't just a warrior from Yahaz. He wasn't just a midnight marauder, just a bad guy with tattoos. He was a guy who truly loved God and he knew the children of Israel. And it wasn't easy for him. And he knew the history of Israel. Do you want to be used by God? I want to be used by God. You need to be a mighty man or a woman of valor, but also be a woman or man of the word. You got to know God's word. 
the history of God. Let's just read this together, guys. Got your seatbelts on. We're going to read fast. Micro machine guy. Here we go. Verse 12. It says, now Jephthah, he sent messengers to the king of the, can you imagine being this messenger? You're like, what'd you say? He got all this, he sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon saying, what do you have against me that you have come to fight against me and my land? And the king of the people of Ammon said, answered the messengers of Jephthah, because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt from Arnon, as far as Jabok, and to the Jordan. Now, therefore, restore those lands peaceably. Give it back, they're saying. So Jephthah, again, sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, and he said to him, thus says Jephthah, Israel did. He's going back into the history books now. People want to rewrite history, don't they? Isn't that frustrating? I'm not a history buff. I don't pretend to be. I don't really trust history at this point because it's been rewritten so many times. I don't know what to believe. Sometimes in my own life, though, people will try and rewrite the short history of the relationship that we're sharing together. Now this guy from Ammon is rewriting history, verse 15. Thus says Jephthah, nope, verse 17, verse 16, how about that? For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea, and they came to, to Kadesh. And then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner, he would not consent. Or he sent to the king of Moab and he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. And they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom. And the land of Moab came in the east side of the land of Moab. And they encamped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the border of Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. And then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, please let us pass through the land into our place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and camped in Jahaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all the people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited the country. They took possessions of all the territory of the Amorites, from the Arnon to the Jabbok, from the wilderness to the Jordan. And now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people, Israel. Should you then possess it? Will not you or will not Will you not possess whatever Chemosh your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before, we will possess. And now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, the brother of Button, I imagine, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? And when Israel dwelt in Heshbon, in its villages, in Arara, in its villages, and all the cities along the banks of the Arnon for 300 years, why did you not recover them within that time? Therefore, I have not sinned against you, but you have wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words with Jephthah had sent to him. Stop right there, eyes up here. Evidently, we're not going to finish the chapter. <laughs> well, let's make some comments and some observations. As he now recounts the history of Israel, Ammon has had opportunity after opportunity to take the land that sat dormant for 300 years. And for 300 years, the Ammonites did nothing. But now the children of Israel have possessed the land because God gave it to them. And all of a sudden, through that rightful possession, all kinds of pushback comes their way. This is so important for you and for me and the things that God gives to you. Has God been leading your life and, and giving things to you? Maybe he's given you singleness to enjoy right now. That's a gift from God. Maybe he's given to you marriage to enjoy from now. That's a gift from God. Maybe you've got kids in the house. Maybe you have kids out of the house. Everything you have right now can be framed as exactly what God wants for you right now. Listen, though. 
the enemy's going to try and come and steal, kill, and to destroy. He's going to come in and attack you and accuse you and try and take things from you. And like Jephthah, you and I need to have a firm handle on God's character, on God's word. You know what's really going on here? And you should be able to then talk about God's character, the shepherd of Israel, the shepherd of your heart, the shepherd of my heart, who gave his son and declared promises to us. Listen, and if you're a Christian here this morning, you're now born again, spirit-filled, regenerated. You're not the same anymore. God has given to you a new future, a new hope. And it's yet going to come under attack every single day for the rest of your life. And Jephthah here, man, it's not been easy for him. It's been hard. Why? I have come to realize I'm going to have Bryce come up. He's going to lead us in a closing song. We're going to worship the Lord before we're done today. I have come to realize that everything I've walked, every single thing I've walked through has been prepared, has been ordained by the Lord in his great mercy, kindness, and goodness to make me the man of God he wants me to be, to make you the people of God that he wants you to be, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Do you believe the life that Jephthah led was not a life that he would have wanted to, the way he was born, the way he was treated, and yet it made him the person that God wanted to be because God loves, dare I say, to pick on and to pick through and to ordain the little guys and the little gals, the ones who haven't had it perfectly given to them. Right now, what if we chose to believe that? What if we chose to walk in that and to extend it to other little guys and little gals and other people and say, you know, God's for you. He's not against you. Yeah, but what about the Ammonites? What about all these people? If you study the nation of Israel, even until right now, they are surrounded geopolitically by bad guys and enemies. People right now who have their missiles pointed right at them, no matter what story, no matter what happens, they've got a bullseye on them. And we, not Israel, but grafted into the tree of Israel, Gentiles, saved by grace. You too have a bullseye on you. Don't forget that. And may the Lord make us men and women of his word, men and women of character. Guys, there's one more point of Jephthah that we're going to study next week, and I want to put this out there. Jephthah not only was a man of God, a man of the word, but he was a man of commitment and discipline. He did the next right thing. We're going to see in the following story, you can read the rest of it. It's kind of crazy. We'll hopefully unpack that and detangle any knots that you come into because it's kind of a crazy story. As God leads Jephthah in victory and as God leads Jephthah in battle, but we see that Jephthah is a man of commitment. His yes means yes and his no means no. And God's going to use him. I'm going to ask you guys to stand up with me as we prepare to worship. Father, we thank you for all you've done. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. Well, I, I, could, I could talk to the 9 a.m. service for another hour or two, just reading through the text. But we take what we've gotten this morning and we say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in our lives. And even right now, as we just seen you, we're gonna worship you. Would you just worship him? Worship him in the shadows. Worship him in this storm. Worship him in whatever situation you're going in right now. Close your eyes and lift up your hands. Just worship him. And maybe even as an act of worship, maybe as a declaration this morning, maybe you feel a little bit like Jephthah. You've been pushed out, overlooked. You've been judged unfairly. Maybe things weren't good for you. Maybe you just were living in Tob and you had a bunch of raiders around you. It wasn't good. And yet the Lord says, hey, I don't really look at the outside, I look at your heart. 
If you would just want to respond, say, Lord, use me like you do, Jephthah. Lord, I want to worship you. Maybe you just need to come to the altar, this song, and just come down and just confess, Lord, take me right where I'm at. Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. I just need a touch. If you need a touch from the Lord, just come down to the altar right now. It's not a big deal but for us, but it's a big deal between you and the Lord. Just obey him and get out and say, Lord, I want to take this seriously. As a matter of fact, I would put that challenge out there. If you haven't been taking your faith seriously, maybe you're like Jephthah's older brothers. Maybe you're just judgmental. Maybe you're disengaged, pushing people away. You're doing your own thing. Not really, you don't really care right now. And you just need the Lord to touch you. And don't miss this opportunity to worship the Lord. I'm going to come down. I'm going to be on the floor right underneath the uh, north uh, screen. If you need prayer, come find me. I'll pray for you. But we're going to sing this song to you right now, Jesus, because we love you so much. Thank you for loving us first. Let's sing together. Come get prayer if you need.